2012 Olympic Games, the 4 by 100, they were expected to smash the world record. Not just to win the race, they were expected to smash the world's record. Not only did they not smash the world's record, they didn't finish the race. Then the women got up. They were expected to win, not to smash the record, but to win. They dropped the baton. It's serious in, in running to drop the baton. It's much more serious in families in life. And so we're talking about generational thinking today. How you think is how you live. You are not what you think you are, what you think you are. The way you think is the way you'll live. If you think you're a victim, you'll live like a victim. If you think you're entitled, like many in this generation think, because they've been told they've been special all their life, so they, they feel like they're entitled. If you think you're entitled, then that's the way you live. So I want to change your thinking because you tend to think, how I tend to think, is nuclear. When you think family, what do you think? Family. God bless me, my wife, my son, his wife, us four, no more. That's nuclear family. The Bible, when they think family, they don't think four or six or eight. They think 30. They think generationally. So we're going to look at scriptures and talk about that this morning. When we think family, when we think father and mother, we think physical and spiritual. So Moses, he passed the baton to whom? Joshua. And when he passed the baton, it did what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to accelerate. And in fact, it did. They took the land. Who did, who did uh, Joshua pass the baton to? Nobody. You want to know what happened? Read the book of Judges. It's really a tragic book in the Bible. It's about decline and revival, decline and revival, because one of the reasons is that Joshua didn't do what Moses did to him. Elijah is very discouraged, and God tells him, you appoint your, your successor. There's no success without a succession. And Elijah was discouraged. God told him to raise up and release the next person who was Elisha. He did that. When he's going to heaven, his son in the face says, my father, my father. You can hear that connection, can't you? He's a father in the faith. And Elisha, at least the recorded miracles, did twice as many recorded miracles as did Elijah. So there was acceleration. Here is Jesus, the Son of God. You wouldn't expect the passing of the baton to outdo what he did. In fact, it did. The very Son of God. He passed the baton to 11 men who in the upper room didn't look like they were going to change the world. But when the Holy Spirit came, that's exactly what happened. That same thing is supposed to happen in the family to accelerate. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights in the commands his children will be mighty in the land. Well, what's mighty to the fourth power? What if, what if the kids are mightier than the parents, and then in the third generation, in the fourth generation, you are stopping cancer cold. You are doing things that we haven't seen yet because there's been a cumulative effect, and the Bible talks about that. There are, the sins of the fathers are passed to the children of the third and fourth generation. So it... it, it 
talks about the, uh, the importance of obedience, but also blessings are accrued generationally. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to do it by first demonstrating it. So I'm going to ask those who are doing the race to come on up, and we're going we're gonna to have a race here between four generations, starting with grandfather, and you guys get in your places, and we're going to cheer them on. So I'm going to give the baton to Grandpa. You've got it, man. It's in your hands. It's up to you now. And so I'm going to say go, and then we're going to have a race. And Karen's already worried. sheets out. <laughs> Say it with me. Look at your passages. Posterity will serve him. With me. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he, he has, has done, it. done it. I tell my kids, I pray for my great grandchildren. You know how many great grandchildren we have? We don't have any. <laughs> They're yet unborn. But yeah. we want to think that way. Yeah. So I say, I want you to be thinking about those that you will have and be praying for them. I'm praying for them. It's on my prayer list to pray for those that are yet unborn. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Next one. Read it out loud. Read it out even when I hold in grace, I persist. Shall I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come? You've got to 
got a job description. Even when I am old and gray, I still got a job. I don't sit back and wait to go. I got an important assignment to tell the story, to make the connections, to make the link up. That's what he does well. That's what she does well. They tell the story so that we have a living God in our family. And God is present in our midst through the stories that come down from the older ones. Next verse, let this be written for a future generation. Never done that. Have you? Did you talk about that? They talk about this is the liturgy. This is the hymn book of the New Testament church. And so this is the way they think. They're thinking about generation, not nuclear, generational It's going to have an effect on them. My sin will affect the third and fourth generation, and so will my sin. And so it's a good cause for holy living. Next one. Here's, here's an interesting one. If you want to mess up somebody, you don't say something like, well, you old daddy or you old mama. What do you do? You curse the, their, their descendants. That's how they talk. Descendant will tell of your mighty acts. If I was talking to a dad and he said, My job is to be the provider, I'll let my wife do the the other responsibility, the spiritual values, I say, your responsibility is to commend the works to the next generation. That's a job description the scripture gives to you. These are all from the Psalms, but the prophets were also aware of the same kind of thinking. So they wanted us to, to think this way. So we read, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next how many generations did you have in that one verse? You had four. You have four generations right there in one verse. So that's what I'm uh, encouraging you to do. Okay, thank you, people. Andrew, are you married yet? Are you? Are you married? No. You don't have a family yet, right? You okay, you have a. Okay, you have a mommy and you have a daddy. Are they telling you? about Jesus? Yeah. Are they telling you about Jesus? <laughs> please say yes. Please, please say yes. Or we're going to have a disaster of a message here. <laughs> pass it along, parents and grandparents. Live the life, pass the baton. So, if you want to help change a culture, get married and have kids, and think generationally. I want to read about a man named Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s, 150 years afterward, an American educator decided to look at the impact of his life. He and Sarah had 11 children, and 
they looked at the impact of their godly legacy, American educator A.E. Winthrop, and here were his findings. Among his legacy included one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. One couple. couple. So I would, I would suggest that he probably had more influence on the founding of the nation than George Washington because of the legacy that went on through his, uh, his life and Sarah's life. We see some of that in the family of, of Billy Graham, something of the strength of a legacy passed along and incrementally growing, not to the same effect as Jonathan. What would happen then if 30 families decided we will live this way? You have the potential to change a culture. If you live this kind of life and, and you uh, give it to your children, who give it to their children, who give it to their children, it's a powerful way to live. So here are some truths regarding generational thinking. Number one, history and destiny merge together when you think generationally. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What's that all about? There's a history. There's a memory. These are people that we know about. We may not know them personally, but we know them. They're part of our family, and so we think back. He's their God, and we're in the same tree, so he's our God. History thrusts us toward destiny. One of the important words in the book of Deuteronomy, it's used 13 times, is the word, see if you can think of it, remember. The word forget is used 11 times. Do not forget. Remember. Remember who you are. Because identity drives behavior. It drives destiny. And so when we think generationally, we're thinking backwards and we're thinking forwards. The feasts were given for this very purpose. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And what does that do? Do this in, I shall not drink anew of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's house. So we're looking back and we're looking forward. So generational thinking thrusts us into the future. It, it causes us to look back. So we're linked up. There's an anchor. It's not just me and my wife and us kids. It's a whole generation. There's a godliness. Now, a young man came to me at Trinity Lutheran. He said, Paul, I don't have the heritage that you have. And I said, okay, Patriarch David, you start it. Then you are the link. Then you are the one. You'll feel it on your shoulders. There's a heaviness. There's a weight. But you live. He's doing it. I could tell you more about how he's doing it, but uh, he, is, he is doing it. He took, he took the command. Names are often used to mark generations. What is my last name? What does that mean? The interpreter for me in Norway was Anders. Oli, Olsen, Jansen. 
It's marking generations. Ben Adam, son of. See, that's the way they thought. You thought family. You thought extension. It's not just about me. So much of our culture, in fact, the American culture, we have lots of strengths. But there's a book written that I haven't read about American narcissism. And it's narcissism means it's about me. You're about me. You encourage me. I love Karen's words. Encouraging is putting courage in other people. It's not about you. It's not about you today. You're a servant. You go low. It's not about you. No matter how much you think it is, it's not about you. You think about others. They're more important than you are. That rids us of a narcissistic outlook that says, I'm really important, so you need to help me. I'm a victim, so you need to get me straight. You need to help me and my needs. And I'll write you off if you don't understand what I'm saying. Not a good way to think. Second thing, it's all about family. It starts with a walk, ends with a wedding. There's a wedding coming. It's a family deal. It's the father, his son's getting married. We're the bride. We're the people of God, and we're linked up for all eternity. You're my brother. Steve, you really are my brother. I'm proud of you. His name is Mark. Yeah. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Even though we can't ventriloquize, it's about family. And so in the last days, what will happen to accentuate family? Spirit of Elijah comes. And it links up. It has to happen, God says. It has to happen because we're a family. He will link up fathers with their children. Lest he come and smite the land with a curse. An unfathered generation is under a curse. It's a generational curse. Maybe just, just be a cause and effect curse. The, the generation that we live in. Very sad, the black generation. But 70, 72% of them are without fathers. That's a cursed generation. Not saying that they're a curse, but the, it, they, they have not because of what people have done to them. And so it's very sad. So God's going to see that that's changed in the last days. Aren't you glad for that? There's going to be a linking up of relationships again, familial relationships. Third, obedience counts. I'm writing a blog now, and I'm going to send it to a guy because I'm writing it for him because his kids said that he said in his separation he feels freedom, at least permission, not to live the life he knows he was called to live. And I want to tell him that that's really dangerous to think that way and then think you can play the forgiveness card and receive forgiveness because you cannot. You cannot. If you think you can live the way you want to and still get permission, uh, still get forgiveness because God forgives you. He doesn't do it for willful, deliberate sin. It says in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 that uh, he comes against you, and any, as any good father would. I would come against my kids who are living in deliberate, willful sin and thinking they can get away with it. I, I want to say to them, no, you can't. You can't. You can't get away. Grace doesn't give a, me permission to sin. It gives me power not to sin. It's a wonderful thing that God, God gives grace. So obedience counts. Jehu was a, anointed by Elijah, and 
in that anointing, he was told to deal with the family of Ahab, the big family. When he dealt with that family, God said to him, Oh, oh. We still respect you. Yes, thank you. I feel that, Jacob. I really feel it. One of the curses for disobedience, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old. Isn't that interesting? The judgment will come with a, with a nation that does not respect the old. And they think, well, really? There's a nation that doesn't respect its old people? Or pity for the young. The fifth truth regarding generational thinking is that because what I'm saying is true, then there will be an attack at the place of birthing. And there will be a horrendous attack on the womb of women to either keep birth from happening, or, or if it happens, there are options there too. We can just hate them. We can despise them as a a society cannot want children, and so they will, they will push children out and treat them as if they're not important. It can happen through a variety of ways. Miscarriage, abortion, uh, abuse, mistreatment. The womb of a woman is not a safe place, and we want to pray that it would be a safe place. And so I want to include that in our, in our prayer before we have communion that it would be for us, it would be a safe place, and that we would uh, help women. Since I, since I studied this and thought about the womb, I've been praying for the womb of women. We prayed for it in Norway. We prayed for women's wombs, that they would be protected because it's a sacred place. Jesus spent nine months of his early life in a womb, forever making sacred that call on women, and I don't know the full extent of this scripture, but the scripture says that women shall be saved in childbirth, and whatever that means, it, it means that there's a redemptive call to bear children that, uh, that, that God honors. And so I'm in the process of letting letting my mind be transformed to better understand generational thinking. And as I do, it will make me stronger. It will make me a better father. It will make me a better son. It will help me to implement the things that the Lord wants me to do. And so I want to pray for you now. I want us to pray together that God will help us. Uh, scripture says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So you can ask God to renew your mind. God, renew it in this way. Renew it in the way I think about my family, about my future. So I'm going to pray now and, and pray that for you and for me. Holy Spirit, would you take these truths and bring them home to us in the days ahead. It's a mouthful. Would you bring them home and, uh, and instruct us? Holy Spirit, no one teaches like you teach. No one loves like you love. 
no one can transform us like you can. So would you, would you be uh, transforming our minds? Allow us to think in the way that you want us to think about those who've gone before us, to honor those who've gone before us. I pray that you would help the children who are here to honor their parents, to obey their parents. I pray that you would give them obedient hearts so that they could live long and healthy, successful lives. And we bless the womb of women in this congregation. We pray that it would be a safe place, safe from predators, safe from the attack of the enemy. We bless those who are desiring to have children. We bless the womb of those who are seeking to have children. We know that that's a desire that you have for them. And so we pray that you would fulfill desire, break through infertility. We pray, oh God, we, we believe in, in uh, your control of the whole birth. We believe in your birth control. And so we pray that you would open the womb of women and guard it. We pray against miscarriages. We pray for good births. We bless the whole process. We thank you for what you are doing in our midst, O oh Lord in these areas. And we pray today, Father, for Sarah as she is uh, a baby doctor. <laughs> no, no, as she ministers, as she ministers to women. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.